This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Wednesday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. Lots to talk about this morning. Great day here in the Northeast. Got some rain coming today, but uh, we certainly need it. Uh, plants are looking a little peaked lately, so uh, but we've got some showers coming later on tonight, so looking forward to that for sure. Uh, let's start out with uh, some Olympic news. And um, happened overnight. The U.S. women's basketball team with an easy win over Australia. Brianna Stewart, former UConn star, now in the WNBA with the Seattle Storm. 23 points in the game, 20 of those in the first half. Uh, U.S. built a, a big lead. Uh, Australia got back within nine in the second quarter. U.S. closed the half with a 20-8 to eight run. They ended up leading by 21 at the half and basically cruised home from there. Uh, the United States is ranked number one in the world. Australia is ranked number two in the world. But Australia has never beaten the U.S. in uh, the Olympics. Uh, there was some concern about the women's team. They looked a little listless early and uh, lost a couple of exhibition games, kind of like the men's team did. And everybody was like, ooh, you know, maybe this is it. Uh, but uh, the U.S. proved that uh, they're going to be just fine. 40-year-old Sue Bird. Uh, running point for the U.S. Had a, a nice game as well. You like to see that. Uh, nine points, five assists in the game. Uh, Brittany Griner with 15 points for the U.S. So they will move on now to face uh, Serbia on Friday in the semifinals. Serbia uh, won the gold medal in the 2016 Rio Games. They beat China in the quarterfinals yesterday, 77 uh, to 70, so the U.S. will be their next target. By the way, the uh, U.S. men's basketball team, after beating Spain yesterday, uh, they will take on the Australian men's team in the semifinals on Thursday. Uh, and most of the uh, men's team was actually at the game last night or early this morning, our time, uh, to watch the women beat Australia. So that's kind of cool. Uh, and the U.S. baseball team defeated the Dominican Republic 3-1 uh, to one overnight. Christian Castas, yeah, let's try that again. Christian Casas, the uh, Red Sox farmhand with a two-run homer in the first inning. And that would prove to be all that uh, the Team USA needed uh, as they win 3-1. to one. For Casas, it's his third home run of the Olympics. Not that that really matters. As he said, you know what, when, I, when we get home, it's not going to matter how many home runs I hit. All people are going to want to know is whether we won the gold medal or not. Uh, so uh, they will play the loser of Wednesday night's game, tonight's game, uh, actually happening, I think, any time now, between Japan and South Korea. Of course, the Japanese uh, beat the USA just the other day 7-6 to six in 10 innings. So the loser of that game in this double elimination format will play the U.S., and the winner of that will advance to the gold medal game 
to play the winner of the Japan-South Korea game. So that's where we're at as far as baseball goes. Scott, Scott Kazmir, by the way, 37 years old. Uh, solid outing for the U.S. Five scoreless innings. only allowed two hits. Uh, retired 14 of the last 15 batters he faced. Uh, so uh, the only uh, blip on that was a uh, Jose Bautista. Yeah, he's still around playing for the Dominican Republic. Uh, a leadoff double in the third, but that was uh, that was it for Casimir. Uh, he pitched a, a few games this year for the San Francisco Giants. They gave him another chance as he made a comeback, and uh, uh, then they released him. Uh, he's actually hoping to get another chance to pitch in the major leagues. He said he hopes his agent can find uh, uh, a team that's willing to take him on for the rest of this season or for 2022. He said, "I have two little boys." He said, "I want them to I want them to see me play, not just see a video." Uh, he said, so that's a motivation for him. Like I said, he's 37 years old, so, and, and he's uh, not the pitcher he used to be. His fastball tops out at about 91, uh, but he's developed a cutter, uh, and uh, it seems to uh, uh, work for him. So, hey, and look, I was thinking, if you're the Red Sox, the as bad as Martin Perez and Garrett Richards have been, what do you got to lose? Why don't you bring them in, kick the tires a little bit, see what you got. I mean, the Red Sox are going to use Tanner Houck in the rotation now, but they've got a doubleheader coming up this weekend, so Garrett Richards is going to start at least one more time, unfortunately. Uh, But uh, nothing wrong with the idea of maybe uh, seeing if uh, Casimir can help you out a little bit. We'll get to the Red Sox a little bit uh, here in a couple of minutes. But before we move on to baseball, I just want to take a – a little bit of time to talk about uh, some news that came down this morning. Um, the NCAA uh, commissioned a report to talk about equity in men's and women's basketball in the NCAA. Now, this all came uh, kind of uh, screaming at everybody. This has been a problem for a while, but it became... Uh, embarrassing for the NCAA this past year during the men's and women's basketball tournaments. If you remember, of course, the men's tournament was all held in the Indianapolis area. The women's tournament was held down in San Antonio. And the problem became when a member of one of the women's teams down there, I think she was from Oregon, I can't remember who it was, but I think she was from Oregon, went with her phone and videotaped what they had for a weight training facility for the women's basketball teams at their hotel. Um, not the hotel, at, the, uh, at their practice facility. And it was essentially uh, nothing. They had, like, uh, some free weights. and I mean, it was embarrassing. And then there was video of what the men's training facilities look like at their venues and they were state-of-the-art and it was everything you could ask for and this was all played out in the public eye on national television and people started finally well i know they've been asking questions for a long time but now they were forced to face what went on and mark emmert the president of the NCAA, oh we're embarrassed by this and oh this is unacceptable and that yeah, it shouldn't have happened to begin with so now because they caught caught with their pants down, the NCAA commissioned this report. Uh, it was released yesterday. It's 113 pages with a whole bunch of recommendations. One of the biggest recommendations 
is holding the men's and women's final fours at the same site. Part of it also is uh, offering financial incentives for schools to improve their women's basketball programs, et cetera, et cetera. Look, there's no question that women's basketball has gotten better. It has gotten more competitive. There is a uh, less of a gap between the haves and have-nots. For a while, there were four or five schools in the NCAA that dominated, and everybody else was an also-ran. And if one of those top four or five schools played anybody else, it was over. It was usually a blowout. That's not the case anymore. You know, uh, it, it is definitely more competitive. It's not as competitive as the men's game yet, uh, but some of that is uh, opportunity. Some of that may be facilities. Some of that may just simply be that the women's game hasn't been around as long as the men's game, and it takes time to catch up. I think it's a combination of all those things. But at the end of the day, if you're the NCAA, just like your men's and women's soccer teams have to have the same facilities, the same opportunities, it's the same for men's and women's basketball. But but here's the problem, and the almighty dollar is always the answer to every question. No matter what it is, it's all about money. The NCAA's revenues the year before the pandemic I mean, everything's off, kind of off from last year, but the year before the pandemic, the NCAA's revenues were a billion dollars. So the NCAA, who's in charge of, you know, legislating and, and uh, you know, all NCAA sports, earned a billion dollars. $900 million of that money came from the media rights with CBS and Turner for the men's basketball tournament. So if you wonder why the NCAA was concentrating more on the men's basketball programs than the women's. Well, it's simple. 90% of their revenue came from men's basketball. You know, and that is, look, it's, it's math. It's from the NCAA standpoint saying, well, of course we're going to do that. Why wouldn't we? Because why would we want to, you know, not put our full attention to the thing that's bringing in all our money. You know, I mean, oh, who cares about equity? It's all about money. That's look, and they can deny it all they want, but that's it. You know, here's a here's another stark figure for you: nine hundred million dollars for the men's tournament, right? You know what the TV rights package is for the uh, women? ESPN has it. You know what they pay? $34 million a year. Now, that sounds like a ton of money, but contrast that with the $900 million between CBS and Turner, and $34 million for the women seems like an absolute joke. And that deal, by the way, is in place through 2024. Now, according to this study, uh, and uh, they consulted with a bunch of sports and media marketing experts, they believe that the women's tournament is going to be worth between 80 and 110 million dollars in 2025 which look at the see the other part of this is it's the argument that you have with the NBA and the WNBA and and I know this is a slippery slope and I don't want to sound like a sexist and it's 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 a it's a but it's a real thing people will say well why aren't the women earning the millions and millions of dollars that men's basketball players do in the NBA. Folks, again, it comes back to one thing. It is about money. 
the NBA fills their buildings. Many WNBA games, for instance, you know, here in Connecticut, the uh, at the Mohegan Sun, the Connecticut Sun, they don't sell out. There have been games that I, I've seen there that have a couple of thousand people in the stands. Now, that's not bad, but they're not selling out you know, 15, 20,000 seats for a women's basketball game in the WNBA. They do not have the corporate money, the sponsorships that the NBA does. It's math. You can't pay the women's WNBA players what the men are making because the league will go bankrupt because the money is not there. And you could say, well, the NBA runs it. They should, so they should take a loss, I guess, on the NBA so that they can finance the WNBA. No, it's, it's, it's contingent on the WNBA, the, the people that run the WNBA. I know, it's, I know it's part of the NBA, but the people that run the WNBA, it is contingent on them to figure out ways to build excitement in the game, to get more people in the stands, to bring in more corporate sponsorship. There's ways to do that. It is a completely different ball of wax, however, when you get to the college game. This is amateur sports. This is schools have to sponsor sports that give men and women equal opportunities. And that includes access to training facilities, access to locker rooms, access to practice times, et cetera, et cetera. It has to be a level playing field. And yeah, I mean, the, the only, look, we're going to throw college football out the window. You know, the major college bowl, that, they, they shouldn't even be in the NBA. It should just be its own entity. All right, you can, so let's just throw that aside. Although it's hard to do that because the money that's made by college football actually funds a lot of these other programs at NCAA schools. I don't know if you know that or not, but it is uh, all the money that is made, say, at uh, the University of Alabama between the media rights and everything else that they get um, – for college football at Alabama, that money goes back into the athletic department. And if it weren't for all that money, Alabama would not be able to sponsor some of the sports that they sponsor. And I've told this story before, you know, working in division one, uh, college athletics, there are expectations, even at the lower levels, which is where I was at central Connecticut, sacred heart. There is expectations that your men's basketball program and your football program will go out and play games where they're called guarantee games, where you get money to go play a team that's way better than you are, to basically get your brains beat in, but to get a paycheck at the end of it. You know, there were uh, basketball games I was at I, I when I was working there that, you know, you know, you go to a game and you get whacked, and but you get paid $75,000 to have a team kick the crap out of you. You know, and you make two, three, four hundred thousand dollars a year at a lower Division One school. That's real money. That actually could fund three teams, and that's what it does. But when it comes to basketball, everything else has to be the same. Your your practice times, your all your other access to different things. It has to be the same men and women. It doesn't matter if the men draw ten thousand people and the women draw five. It has to be equal. Now, whether whether the answer is having the men's and women's final four at the same place, I'm not sure. I'm not even even the women's basketball coaches, by the way, who by the way are are are, are happy about this report and they've been talking about some of the inequities for years. But even people like Tara Vanderveer from from uh, Stanford and Gino Ariema at UConn, 
they're not sold on the idea of combining the Final Fours. They actually like the fact that they have their own Final Four at their own venue and the spotlight is just on them. If you have the men and women's tournaments at the same place, you and I both know, no matter what's going on with the women's game, people are going to be talking about the fact that the uh, men's, you know, the next men's semifinal is coming up or the men's semifinal is tomorrow. And there's going to be a lot of mention of the men's tournament during the women's broadcast. If it's in the same venue, it's unavoidable. So having their own, you know, their own deal might be more beneficial. and, and, And even the coaches recognize that. But at the end of the day, This report will make sure, if it's implemented the way it should be, that there are no more disparities when it comes to all the trappings around a program. You know, women taking a bus, men taking a plane. Don't think that doesn't happen, by the way. The men will fly somewhere and the women will have to take a bus even though it's a five-hour trip. Don't think that doesn't happen. You know, or the access to practice times will be fair the access to uh, whatever it is, you know, whether whether it's pregame meals or, uh, you know, apparel or whatever, you know, uniforms, that everything is equal, and it's not now. You know, that thing they showed last year in the, uh, in the, the tournaments with the weight room, that's the tip of the iceberg. There's way more uh, disparity than the general public knows about. I know it because I've seen it for years uh, traveling around this country uh, for 25 years in Division One and seeing the disparities. They do exist. So uh, it's just part of the whole social media thing now where nothing can be hidden because everybody's got a cell phone with a camera uh, and video capability on it. So you can't hide anything now. So the NCAA really is, uh, they have no choice. Whether they'll take the Final Four all at one place or not is irrelevant. It's the rest of the stuff that they have to fix. All right, let's uh, let's get to uh, some depressing stuff last night. And that was the Red Sox game. You know, the Red Sox have now uh, seen their losing streak reach five games. They're on a 10-game road trip. They've lost the first four games of that road trip. They were going in last night to play a Detroit Tiger team that is miles out of the race in the AL Central, but a Tigers team that is still five games under 500. A Detroit Tigers team that is much better than people expected. You can point that right at A.J. Hinch, their manager, former manager of the Houston Astros, uh, who has done a great job there. But the Red Sox, again last night, could not hit. Now, I sh- they could not hit in big situations. And this is the thing. They had nine hits last night. But they continue to struggle with runners in scoring position. They left nine men on base last night. I mean, this is becoming a theme. And, you know, time after time, guys are coming up in big spots with runners uh, in scoring position. And they can't get it done. Rafi Devers struggled last night. Alex Verdugo, oh my God. I mean, now there are a couple, he did, you know, he was a little bit unlucky last night. He had a couple of balls right on the screws, uh, you know, but right at people. But this team, you know, just continues 
to find ways to shoot themselves in the foot. And it didn't help last night where they sent Garrett Richards out again. And it is time for the Garrett Richards thing to expire. His ERA in his last 10 starts is over seven. Last night, four innings, five hits, three runs. Five strikeouts, two walks. I had to laugh. Somebody actually said, well, you know, it's a shame they lost that game. Garrett Richards gave him a chance. For God's sake, he couldn't get out of the f- – he couldn't even pitch five innings. He was terrible. I'm tired of this. And, you know, even Richards says, well, it's the worst year of my career. Trying to find some ways to help us win a game. And he says – and he keeps saying, and I'm throwing my pitches for strikes, and, you know, I'm pitching better than the number show. Baloney, you stink. I'm tired of it. So Tanner Houck is, is in the rotation now because of the doubleheader this weekend. We're going to see Richards one more time unless the Red Sox do something really crazy like, you know, call up Connor Seabold as well. And I'm, and I'm okay with that. I don't want to see Garrett Richards or Martin Perez again. Yeah, look, I'm sure they're nice guys. And for guys that are supposed to be your number four and five starters, you know, especially the number five spot, it's like, well, you know, we'll take what we can get. You know, you're looking for a guy to eat up innings. These guys aren't even eating innings. Either one of them, they can't get, they can't get you even five innings. And so every damn day you're having to go into that bullpen and you're going to wear these guys out. You know, but on a night when you get a couple of hits from J.D. Martinez, who had been struggling mightily, it was good to see him have a couple of hits last night. Jaron Duran even had a couple of hits last night. This is a kid that was hitting about 150 when the night started. You know, Bogey looks like he's starting to, to find it again. But, you know, outside of a home run by Hunter Renfro and an RBI single by J.D. Martinez, the Red Sox did nothing. After basically after the second inning last night, the Red Sox went to sleep offensively. Richards gave up another home run. This one to uh Miggy Cabrera. Miguel Cabrera, his four hundred and ninety-eighth career home run last night. Cabrera ended up with a couple of hits uh in the game overall. He actually now is uh fifty-six hits away from three thousand in his career. Look, this guy's going into the Hall of Fame. You know, I mean it's not even it, it, People want to say what they want because, you know, his skills have diminished a little bit. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, over his last 10 games, Miguel Cabrera is hitting the crap out of the ball. He's hitting a 400 in his last 10 games. You know, uh, so whether he has found, uh, you know, the fountain of youth or whether this is just one of those things where, you know, you uh, you get hot for a little while, but 4.06 with four homers and 10 runs batted in his last 10 games. You know, and then Akil Badu uh, with an RBI double late in the game that made it 4-2, to two, and it just, you know, it's demoralizing. There's no other way to put it. Um, and now the Red Sox will send uh, Erod out tonight. Eduardo Rodriguez, who is... Another one of those guys, he's supposed to be the ace of this staff with Chris Sale out. Seven and six, but an ERA of 5.60. He'll get the start tonight against young Casey Mize, who's been great. He's six and five. His ERA is uh, uh, 3.4, and he's pitching with more and more confidence. Doesn't, you know, doesn't bode well for the Red Sox tonight either. Uh, the good news for Boston is they did not have Chris, uh, excuse me, Matt Barnes available last night. He was on the COVID list. 
um, and they because of contact tracing, but they did a um, a test. It came back negative, so he'll be back with the team today. Uh, and Kyle Schwarber, who they got in the trade from uh, Washington at the trade deadline, uh, took part in a simulated game yesterday. He's still on the injured list with some hamstring issues, but he's he hit in the game yesterday. He's been taking ground balls at first base. They said he's actually looked pretty good there. You know, and Alex Cora said, look, there's stuff that goes that happens in a game. He's going to have to learn that and learn positioning, et cetera. But he said, but so far he looks pretty good. Uh, there's no timetable yet for a minor league rehab, but when he gets it, it's going to be a quick one. Alex Cora doesn't think he's going to need a lot of time. Uh, and we now know that Chris Sale is coming back next week. He's going to make a start um, at scranton Wilkesbury against the Yankee affiliate for AAA Worcester on Saturday. And uh, then he's coming to Boston. And it looks like he will pitch for the Red Sox uh, the second week of August. You know, and it's not the answer to everything, but if he can come back and be even in the beginning a, a, a representation of his former self where he can get you five or six and give up, you know, just one run and keep your team in the game, you know, and the Red Sox don't have to worry about trying to come back all the time, it'll be great. You know, but don't expect him to come back firing 98 and pitching seven innings. It's not likely to happen. If you get five out of him, but you know he's only given up one run in that time, you'll take that in a heartbeat. So that's coming. And if they can figure out the Erod thing, and Evaldi continues to pitch well, and Pavetta continues to pitch well, you know, I like our chances of staying in it. Got some help last night from the Seattle Mariners. Uh, we'll talk about that when we come back. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 33 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Wednesday morning as uh, we work our way around uh, what happened in sports last night. And as I was mentioning, the Red Sox got some help last night from the Tampa Bay Rays. Or, I mean, excuse me, from the Seattle Mariners against the Tampa Bay Rays. The Mariners have won the first two games of that series. So the Red Sox can thank their lucky stars for that. Yusei Kikuchi, who had been 0-3 since uh, making his first All-Star game um, back in July, pitched well last night. Six innings, six hits, just one earned run. He struck out five, picked up his seventh win of the year. Diego Castillo, who actually was traded to Seattle from Tampa, picked up his 15th save of the season as he pitched a scoreless uh, ninth inning against his old team. Um Luis Patino, who had been so good against the Red Sox, struggled a bit, gave up a couple of home runs in the game to Seattle. Abraham Toro, uh, who has uh, been on fire since being traded from Houston to Seattle, I believe that's his third home run since the trade at the deadline, uh, hit his uh, ninth of the season. And uh, Jared Kelnick, who came back up from the minor leagues, hit his fourth home run of the season as well. And Seattle beats the Rays 4-2. to two. Uh, Randy Rosarena had a home run for the Rays last night, but uh, they were not able. They struggled a bit again. They got some runners in scoring position, went 0 for 4, uh, left seven runners on base. They had their chances, but uh, they couldn't get it done against the Mariners' bullpen. Uh, Logan Gilbert will pitch for Seattle. It's a four-game series, so Logan Gilbert – oh, no, it's only a three-game series. I'm sorry. Logan Gilbert goes tonight in the finale. Josh Fleming, who is 8-5, will get the start. Uh, for Tampa. Tampa also announced yesterday that their ace, Tyler Glasnow, is going to have uh, Tommy John surgery. So that means that uh, he will be out for the rest of this year and likely for all of next year. The timetable on Tommy John surgery is usually somewhere between 12 and 14 months. So 
best case scenario, he's back for September of next year, but uh, you can pretty much count him out uh, for the uh, rest of this year and all of next year. Colin McHugh for Tampa, by the way, is going to throw live batting practice. He could be back uh, with the Rays by the weekend, and you know the Rays going to need him. I mean, with Tyler Glass now definitely not coming back, they thought that they were going to get him back. Uh, so uh, they needed if Colin McHugh can come back and give them uh, uh, something uh, in that rotation. Uh, the Yankees with a win last night, they beat the Baltimore Orioles 13-1. to <laughs> Luis Gill made his Major League debut for the Yankees last night through six scoreless innings. Uh, you know, look, uh, and I'm not going to get too carried away about that because guys that come up and make their major league debut often do well. Why? Because nobody has ever seen them. <laughs> so he goes six last night, struck out six, walked one, only gave up four hits. Uh, and then the Yankees turned to two other guys that made their debuts last night to finish it up. Steven Riddings and Brody Corner, guys that nobody's ever heard of, <laughs> pitched the final three innings. Uh, gave up just one run, and uh, but that game was long over as the uh, uh, the Yankees scored five in the third, three in the fourth. Uh, they got four more in the eighth, but uh, that game was long over by the time uh, even Gill left the game. 13 runs on 15 hits. Uh, John Carlos Stanton with a home run last night. He'd been struggling mightily. He had a couple of hits, uh, he, including his 17th home run. Uh, Aaron Judge also went deep, his 22nd of the year. By the way, uh, when uh, Stanton and Judge both hit home runs uh, for the Yankees, it's the fourth time they've done it this season. Believe it or not, because of the injuries between for either Stanton or Judge, they haven't played together that often. But when they do and they both homer in the game, the Yankees don't lose. They're 11-0, and including the postseason, when both those guys hit homers in the same game. Uh, the Yankees put uh, Gio Urshela, on the 10-day injured list yesterday, retroactive to August 1st, so he'll be out for another week. Uh, and then uh, Garrett Cole and Jordan Montgomery were added to the COVID-19 injured list, so they will be out. That's the reason, by the way, that Gill had to come up to make that start last night was because of Garrett Cole uh, being on the COVID list. You know, so And hopefully for the Yankees fans, it'll be just like Matt Barnes was. It'll be a day or two. He'll, they'll get their negative test, and they'll be back. But... Uh, uh, the Yankee pitching staff is definitely thin, but, boy, those bats are dangerous. Now, Matt Harvey will pitch tonight for the Orioles against the Yankees. Uh, look, Matt Harvey, who's from Connecticut, went to Fitch High School. Uh, we all know the dark night, how great he was for the New York Mets. Well, he's been awful this year until recently. He has thrown 18 and a third scoreless innings. So that streak will be on the line when he faces the Yankees tonight. Let me tell you, if he does that again tonight, if he throws six scoreless innings tonight, I'll believe that maybe Matt Harvey's figured something out. Uh, but he's won his last three starts with those 18 and a third scoreless innings. So he will face Jamison Tyon, uh, who will get the start for the Yankees tonight. But Harvey, 6-10 and 10 this year with a 6-2-0 ERA. But, but considering the fact that uh, oh, two weeks ago his ERA was north of 7, uh, I mean, I guess it's progress, but uh, good luck against the Yankees tonight uh, for Matt Harvey. Um, the New York Mets, boy, I'll tell you, you know, everybody was excited when uh, they made some trades at the deadline and they went out and got Javi Baez and 
thinking, boy, what a great middle of the infield they're going to have with, uh, you know, Baez and Francisco Lindor. Everybody was all excited about the, the possibilities that the Mets were going to go on a tear. You know, Pete Alonso wins the home run derby, and he seemed hot right after the break. Yeah, the Mets have really uh, had a hard time finding their rhythm. They have lost five of six now, and they are 8-11 and 11 since the All-Star break. They lose to the Miami Marlins, who had a fire sale at the All-Star break, traded everybody but Derek Jeter, and yet the Marlins have won the first two games of that series. And the Mets' lead now in the National League East is just a game and a half. So there is panic in Metland. And to top that off, you know, the other bad news the Mets got this week is Kumar Rocker, their number one draft pick, the guy everybody was excited about. The Mets didn't sign him. They decided that they were concerned about the medical reports on uh, Rocker's arm. And chose not to sign him, you know. And of course, you have his agent uh, Scott Boros saying, "Well, you know, there's independent reports and MRIs and everything else, and his arm is fine." And you know, the Mets just didn't want to pay him. Uh, I'm not buying that because uh, <laughs> the new billionaire owner is looking to spend money. Uh, so I don't think that was it. They obviously had some some concerns. So Met fans, it hasn't been a great week for them. Uh, and uh, losing last night uh, did not help mood the mood in New York at all. Carlos Carrasco is going to start the third game of the series for the Mets uh, tonight. It's a four-game series. The Mets are, or excuse me, the Marlins will counter with Zach Thompson, who is 2-4 and four with a 2-3-3 ERA. The Mets need to figure this out pretty quick because here come the Phillies. Uh, Phillies have won 6 of 10. They've won three in a row, six of their last 10. Bryce Harper has been hotter than a firecracker lately. Uh, Harper with a uh, solo bomb in the eighth inning last night. That's the difference in the game. At the time, it gave his team a 5-2 lead. Now, Washington came back with a couple in the bottom of the eighth. Uh, But that home run by Harper, uh, the difference, and uh, they are now a game and a half back. And by the way, it was a bomb. Uh, 430 feet came off of uh, Javi Garrett. But in his last 15 games, Bryce Harper is hitting 409. He is 18 for his last 44. And by the way, that includes 18 walks over that time. So he's hitting 409 in the last 15. His on-base percentage in the last 15 games is 581. Bryce Harper is on fire. His last 30 games, it's I mean, look, it, he's hitting 350 in his last 30 games in his last 103 at bats. He's got 36 hits. 350 with a 465 on base percentage. His OPS over that time is 1100. I mean, it's insane. I mean, and that's the only thing holding the Phillies back right now is their pitching staff. And fortunately, last night they got a solid outing from Zach Wheeler, pitched into the eighth inning. He did give up four runs, but he struck out five, walked one, pitched seven and a third, picked up his ninth win of the season. You know, they need some other guys to step up. Aaron Nola has been so up and down, but that's kind of been the story of his career. But Zach Wheeler, uh, even despite giving up four runs in seven and a third last night, ZRA is still just 2.57. Alvarado picked up his four save. Patrick Corbin was pretty good for Washington, but uh, just, you know, the home run by Guerra uh, or given up by Guerra was the difference in this one, and, and the Phillies are right there. 
That National League East is, uh, if you're the Mets, you're scared to death right now. Even though the Atlanta Braves are a game under 500, they're just two and a half back. You know, now Washington, we know they're done. They sold off everybody for the Nationals. They're their season worst nine games under 500. They're in danger of the Miami Marlins passing them. So the next game for the Phillies, look, this is one that the Mets need to get. Um, Chase Anderson will pitch for the Phillies tonight. He's 2-4 and four with a 6-7-5 ERA. If you're the Mets, you've got to take advantage of this. Uh, the Phillies will throw Paulo Espino out on the mound. He is 3-2 and two with a 3.08 ERA. But this is a must-win for the Mets tonight. They cannot afford a fourth loss in the row with the way things are going uh, right now in the NL East. Well, the series everybody wanted to talk about and everybody wants to see, the Houston Astros at the Los Angeles Dodgers. The first chance for Dodger fans to uh, see the Houston Astros in person uh, since the whole cheating scandal happened, of course, with no fans last year. You know, the L.A. Dodger fans had to sit on it and stew on it. Well, they were out in force last night. We'll talk about that when we come back. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 46 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call on a Wednesday morning. A little bit of time left, and we're going to spend that time talking about the National League West that Race is heating up. It is uh, going to be a fun stretch. Uh, you're looking at the standings this morning. The Giants still with that three-and-a-half game lead. The Dodgers uh, in second place, 20 games over 500. The Padres, who have won two straight, despite the fact that Fernando Tatis is out, uh, they are six back of the Giants, two-and-a-half back of the Dodgers. Right now, the Dodgers and the Padres would be the two wild cards. Um, and the Giants, I don't, I don't know if they're going to be able to hold on or not, but, man, uh, it, it is going to be a lot of fun to watch down the stretch. But last night, the biggest crowd in the majors this season, 52,692 fans packed Dodger Stadium last night. Why? Well, because the cheating Houston Astros were in town. And so the Dodger fans wanted to let them have it, and they did let them have it. The, the booing started in warm-ups, in warm-ups. And there were, I mean, there were fights in the stands. Uh, the people were throwing inflatable garbage cans out onto the, onto the field. It was brutal, but it was fun. And the Houston Astros got the last laugh. Why? Well, because Lance McCullers uh, pitched last night for those Houston Astros, and he was mighty good. Uh, McCullers goes six and two-thirds last night, allows just four hits, and he struck out nine, walked three, picked up his ninth win of the season, lowered his ERA to right about three, 3.02. He outdueled Walker Bueller. Uh, Bueller threw 115 pitches in six innings. Yikes. Uh, and he left trailing one nothing. He ends up taking the loss, just his second loss of the season. Uh, and then a uh, uh, two-run home run uh, by Alvarez off of Victor Gonzalez out of the bullpen uh, gave the Astros a little bit of cushion. They end up winning this thing three to nothing. I mean, it was everything you could have asked for. Uh, Michael Brantley with an RBI double in the fourth inning gave Houston the lead, and then Jordan Alvarez's homer uh, over the right field wall 
that was the end of that. Uh, Ryan Stanek picked up the save for the Astros. Another guy that came over from the uh, Tampa Bay Rays. It shows you how much pitching they have. Uh, ninth save, or excuse me, his second save of the season. Uh, and the 115 pitches for Bueller. Season high for him, but uh, it wasn't enough as they just could not figure out Lance McCullers. Mookie Betts, by the way, started at second base for the second straight game. And for the second straight game, Mookie Betts made a great play, uh, a, a leaping uh, uh, catch, a diving catch in shallow right field. And uh, he did the same thing the night before. We went like deep out into left center field to, uh, to make a hell of a catch. Uh, over his shoulder so a guy that he came up as a second baseman if you remember of course then the Red Sox moved him to the outfield and the rest is history Um, but the Dodgers uh, have been playing him at second base the last couple of games after coming off of the uh, the injured list they were concerned about him you know having to do too much out in the outfield so uh, they have played him at second base and uh, (laughs) it hasn't hurt him let's just put it that way so the Dodgers now uh, 64 and 44, and uh, 20 games over after the loss, and the Houston Astros moved to 65 and 42. Houston Astros with the best record in the American League. They've won seven of ten. Their lead now in the AL West is five and a half games, and that is because the San Diego Padres drilled the A's yesterday. The final in that one. Nine to one. Sean Manaya, who'd been pretty good all season, came in with an ERA just about three, gave up eight hits and five runs in four and a third innings, uh, dropped his uh, seventh decision of the season. He's eight and seven. Blake Snell, I talk about a Jekyll and Hyde guy. Blake Snell, who been was terrible his last time out, uh, gives the Padres five yesterday, allows just one run. Now, he had to skirt around a lot of trouble. He walked three, gave up six hits in those five innings. But outside of a Starling Marte home run, Blake Snell did not allow a uh, uh, an A's runner to cross the plate. Tommy Pham uh, with a home run in this one, his 12th of the season. And uh, Manny Machado uh, with a couple of hits, uh, two runs scored, including a double, and uh, pushed his batting average up to 286 on the season. And even without Fernando Tatis Jr., this team just keeps rolling. Jake Marisnik, by the way, uh, uh, had a hit for the Padres. He was acquired at the trade deadline uh, from the Chicago Cubs. So uh, the Padres trying to hang in there. Right now they're the second wild card team. And, uh, you know, look, they're just trying to hold serve until Tatis can get back. You know, I'm worried about Fernando Tatis. That shoulder issue he's got, you know, and most of the time it's a subla- uh, sublation, they call it. Uh, but you have to think that perhaps in the off season. They're going to have to go in and take a look at that and, and maybe do something and see if he could, it can be surgically repaired because it seems like, you know, once a month he's getting hurt and it's always that shoulder. So we'll uh, have to keep an eye on that. Now, the, uh, the Dodgers with the loss don't lose any ground, and that's because the Giants got beat yesterday uh, by the Arizona Diamondbacks of all people. Madison Bumgarner, with his first win against his old team, of course, he pitched for years uh, for the Giants. He signed that five-year deal before the 2020 season to join the Diamondbacks. Seven innings, six hits, just one run. He struck out four, uh, even his record at six and six. Johnny Cueto uh, pitched five, gave up three runs. Two of them earned. He struck out seven. But, again, uh, walked four guys, gave up six hits, so he kind of created his own problems. Anibal Sanchez finished it up. 
uh, pitched the final three innings and kept Arizona off the board, but they weren't able to do anything off of Bumgarner, really. And then Gilbert and Tyler Clippard finished up for the last two innings. And uh, so the Diamondbacks, with a rare victory, they are 40 games under 500. Uh, Zach Gallum is going to pitch for the Diamondbacks today. Uh, Kevin Gausman, of course, who was in the All-Star game, uh, 9-5 and five with a 2-3-5 ERA, will get the start uh, for the San Francisco Giants in the game tonight. Uh, quick look at a couple of other games. The uh, Atlanta Braves with a win over the Cardinals yesterday. Uh John Lester making his first start for the St. Louis Cardinals, and it did not go well. Five innings, nine hits, six runs. He, uh, Max Fried, though, six shutout innings for the Braves, uh, picked up his eighth win of the season uh, for the Atlanta Braves. He allowed just four hits. And uh, so the Braves now uh, one game under five hundred, trying to figure out a way to uh, stay in that race without Ronald Acuna Jr. And how about this? Last night, the uh, the Brewers, uh, Adrian Hauser was pitching for the Brewers last night, had a no-hitter going into the seventh inning. He leaves after six and a third innings through 104 pitches. They go to the bullpen. Daniel Norris comes in, and the Pittsburgh Pirates start teeing off on the Brewers' bullpen, and the Pirates come back. They end up, despite the fact they trailed 4 nothing in the seventh and had been no hit, they come all the way back, and they end up beating the Brewers in 10 innings last night, 6-5. to five. Uh, Polanco with a, uh, a, a big hit, a nice catch uh, to end the ninth. A ball hit by Eduardo Escobar may have saved the game right there. And uh, Brian Reynolds, a two-run single off of Blaine Hardy in the 10th inning, and the Pirates win that game 6-5. to five. So a tough loss. Uh, for the Brewers last night, no question about that. Uh, but they still lead the NL Central by seven and a half games over the Cincinnati Reds, who lose yesterday as well. Uh, so that division just about wrapped up as well. So really, you know, when you go down to it, we've got about half the divisions where it's going to be fun. The AL East, the NL East, we know that's going to be entertaining. The rest of the division, you know, the AL West, that's done. I mean, I know Oakland's still five, five and a half back. You say that's close enough now. That's done. Cleveland's done in the AL Central, so the White Sox are going to win there. The NL Central's toast, and then the NOS. So three out of the six divisions will have something fun to watch uh, going down the stretch. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of The Wake Up Call. We leave you with some music from Hank Jr., a little big river this morning. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.